So the Bible reading today is uh, from Luke 1, verse 5 to 25. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. Okay. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of the, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth, Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Thanks for <clears throat> reading that so well for us, Kristen. Uh, just a reminder, we will have question time straight after the sermon today, so well, as long as I don't preach too long. Um, so save your questions for, for then. Uh, there should be plenty, plenty there. Uh, now, you might have seen on your handout today uh, that the title we're, we're thinking about is Coincidence or God. Uh, one of the kind of entertaining things I see from time to time is uh, pictures that make me think, okay, was that a coincidence 
uh, or is it, uh, or is it just, uh, or is there something bigger going on? Uh, have a look at this one. You see what's going on there? I don't know if you can see. I'll zoom in on the bit of paper the dog's chewed up. Certificate dog obedience training. You think, ah, oh, well, did the dog know what was going on? Is he, is there more to it than he just happened to chew that back? What about this this picture? Have you see what's going on there? Well, where's the cat hiding? You know, there's, a, there's an actual orange cat behind it. What are this? I, I love this one. Safety begins with you and the bus has crashed into a, a car. Uh, or this one, this is uh, for Robin Kirst with, uh, with Bruce. Boy, four falls out a window and lands on his feet, was wearing a Superman shirt. Oh, is it a coincidence? What's, what's going on there? Um, there's a whole lot of, I guess you'd say, conspiracy theories, depending how you class it, around The Simpsons. Have you seen those ones? The, the, I, I don't watch a whole lot of The Simpsons, but that they predict stuff in the future. Uh, years before Richard Branson went to space, they had an episode about him going to space. Uh, years before um, Lady Gaga did the Super Bowl concert and flew around, I didn't happen to catch that one, they said, this is going to happen. What about the big one? 2000, they predicted Donald Trump would be president. Oh, is it coincidence or not? What's, what's going on? How, how do you figure these things out? What's coincidence and what is something bigger than going on? Uh, much, much more seriously, I, uh, when I was 18, I was in Scotland and, and I was searching for God. I'd, I'd grown up in a Christian home and I was starting to search for God and I happened to stumble across a dead body when I was hiking around Ben Nevis. And that was the thing I, I say, um, yeah, have you seen those movies like The Sound of um, Music where someone's trying to get attention and they throw pebbles against a bedroom window and say, wake up, wake up. I feel like God was throwing pebbles into my life saying, wake up, Liam, and then he threw a bus at me. You know, it's going, and you go, well, why did I find that dead body just when I was searching for God? I don't, I don't think it was a coincidence. I think God was intervening. So God seems to be intervening in this world, but how do we interact with that? When we look around what's happening in the world, we might see coincidences, but do we expect God to intervene this week in our lives, Monday, Friday, between now and next Sunday? Will I be looking for God's intervention? Will I recognize it when it happens? How might I respond when I see God's hand in my life? Well, today in Luke chapter 1, uh, that's what Luke's talking about. He's talking about the way that God intervenes in this world in particular people's lives. And that's what we're going to look through. We're going to see what Luke believes about God's intervention in this world. Uh, we're going to meet a character called Zechariah. We're going to see what he believes about God's intervention. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to land on, well, what, what do we believe and not just up here, what do we believe technically about what God does, but what do we believe in practice? How do we live this out about how God intervenes? So first of all, what does, what does Luke believe? How, how do you know when something happens in your life? How do you, how do you work out when, whether something is just a coincidence? Like the dog happened to chew up the dog obedience certificate. Uh, is it just a coincidence? How do you figure it out? Or is this God working? Um, see, there's a, in our culture, there's, uh, there's a whole lot of thought around Christianity that a whole bunch of things that may or may not have happened around Jesus were just coincidence. There's a movie around that whole premise, The Life of Brian. Anyone seen The Life of Brian? Uh, a bit of a irreverent uh, chuckle uh, kind of movie, but it's built around the premise that there's this guy called Brian who just 
happened to be born in Bethlehem in a manger just around the corner from Jesus. So it was a, it was a coincidence. He, it was, there was nothing designed in Brian's life. It, he just happened to be born, well, not in the wrong place at the wrong time, but the right place at the right time. Uh, and the whole movie's on that premise that, oh, it was just a great big misunderstanding. Uh, it was just a misunderstanding. And all these gullible people put it together. Now, Luke, on the other hand, is so concerned to show us that with Jesus, it's not random. It's not just gullible people reading things into events that were just coincidence. But Luke wanted us to see, we saw that last week, but the, the, the things that are recorded about Jesus aren't just random events that happen to line up. They are specific answers to promises. That's what he said. They're, they're things that have been fulfilled amongst us. They're not random. They're not coincidental. Uh, and remember, we looked last week. Luke says, look, these aren't random. It, it, it's fulfilled. I, I interviewed eyewitnesses, he says. He says, I did a careful investigation. He says, Theophilus, who he's writing to, I want you to have certainty about this. It's not just some gullible people who've jumped to conclusions about Jesus. And the first thing he gets into after this introduction, uh, after his intro, uh, is that this isn't a coincidence. And we see that in verse 5. Uh, we, we read, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah. He belongs to a priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth, also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them are righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they're both very old. As you're reading that, it doesn't sound like the introduction to a fable, does it? Once upon a time in a land far, far away. No, we've, we've got historical details. It was the time of King Herod. And I'm not just going to tell you there's Zechariah who's a priest, but I'm going to tell you what division he belongs to. Uh, these are the kind of details you can go and look up. And remember, this is written within kind of 30 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's within 60 years of these events happening. Uh, you can go and find it out. You can say, oh, I want to go and meet you know, some family members and ask, and where, where was Zechariah in that division? Yeah, he was. You can, you can go and check this stuff out. And we're introduced to, I guess you'd say, the main characters or some of the main characters in this little chunk, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And uh, I was saying in home group, I would love this to be written on my tombstone. You know, they're upright, they're righteous, they're, they're good and godly people. But there's a problem. And that's how all the best stories start, don't they? You've got the characters, what's the big problem? Well, the big problem is that they are very old and they've been unable to conceive. So now the scene is set, verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple before uh, of the Lord and burn incense. Uh, and when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. 
He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents, of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's a pretty dramatic scene, isn't it? Can you, can you imagine hearing that? Zechariah before the, before the altar. But why is Luke starting with this story that kind of seems, seems a little bit random? Why this particular and specific detail? Why go into so much detail about John? We're going to find out about John in a couple of weeks, his, his conception. Well, last week I, I said that Luke is a two-part volume. Uh, it's the first half of Luke-Acts. But I think that Luke is actually saying something else in this chapter. I think Luke is seeing himself as the second part in a three-part series. I couldn't get the text quite right, but that's, that's how it would have, would have looked. Uh, Luke's saying, no, 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 guys. This isn't the first instalment with a second to come. This is actually the second instalment. I'm riding on off the back of somebody else. Uh, a, a prophet called Malachi was one... One of my lectures used to say Malachi, the Italian prophet. Um, so, uh, so Malachi, and Luke sees himself like that. He's saying, look, I'm launching this way on purpose because I want to make it really clear that this, this isn't written in isolation. This is all about fulfillment, about fulfilled promises. Because this revelation from the angel, as amazing as it was, and pretty incredible to be met by Gabriel in your old age and told you're going to have a baby. As amazing that more, it even gets more amazing when you realize that these words from the angel actually come from the very last book in the Old Testament. Uh, it'll be up on the screen there. So the, the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, this book that is full of promises uh, from God to his people saying, there is a day coming when judgment will come. It was written about 400 years before Jesus' birth. Uh, the people of Israel were under oppression and they have been ever since. And God's saying to his people, there is a day coming when I will come to save and I will come to judge. It's called the day of the Lord a lot in Malachi, this, this day that's coming. And here's what he says in Malachi chapter 3. God says, look, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. He says, look, the day you're looking for, someone's going to come before that to prepare for that day. A messenger to prepare for my coming. Uh, and, and you get a hit there of this great longing for Israel that the Messiah would come. The Messiah, that's that word. Uh, we, we use Christ, Messiah. It's the same, same word. It's, it's God's promised king. It's a great longing and promise from the Old Testament that one day God will send a saviour, a king to rule his people, to save his people, to deliver his people and rule in justice and peace. That's who they were longing for. But how are you going to know when the Messiah will arrive? Well, we'll flick to the very last verses in Malachi. So remember, these are the last verses in the Old Testament, the last couple of lines. He says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Do you see what Luke's doing here in chapter 1 of Luke? He's picking up where Malachi left off. 
It's as Luke, if Luke's saying, hey, get out your Bible, guys, and, and just tear out the dividing page between the Old and New Testament. You don't need a title change. You don't need some introduction. It, it's just like flick over, end of Malachi, start of Luke. Bam. It, it's just the next volume. The things that are fulfilled amongst us, the things about Jesus, they're not in isolation. They're not random. They are answers to these specific promises particularly with the birth of John the Baptist, around this promise that there'd be one like the prophet Elijah who would come ahead of the great day of the Lord. Uh, Elijah, a very famous, prominent prophet from the Old Testament, um, he spent much of his life in the wilderness. Uh, he was known to be, uh, I, I think the word's ascetic, so not ascetic, he likes things that look good, uh, but he, he, he went with outlots. He lived in the wilderness. He'd come into town in his kind of wild camel skin coat uh, and ate kind of funny things. He spent a lot of his time out of town in, in suffering in the wilderness. He was also an incredibly bold prophet. He was the, the one person in all of Israel who stood up to the evil king and said, you're doing the wrong thing. You're doing the wrong thing. And as we read through Luke and meet John the Baptist, we're going to say, yeah, this, this guy really was in the spirit of the prophet Elijah. But, but more than that, he was, he was a forerunner. He was an announcer that there is someone coming after me. He was the preparer for the Lord who is coming after. See, this, this miracle is not just another miracle, but it's carrying on God's pattern of delivering his people. And I want to say carrying on God's pattern of delivering his people by helping ladies who can't have babies have babies. Yeah, go read Genesis again. It seems like every second story is a, is a couple who are struggling to conceive. Abraham and Sarah, they, they, they can't in their extreme old age. That's what God does. This is fulfillment, fulfillment central. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were asked for a baby and God gave them a prophet. And what Luke displays here in his first chapter is, is what he believes about what's happening. And Luke believes that God is actively at work bringing about his purposes and fulfilling his promises. But what does Zechariah believe, this upright and godly man, a priest? What does Zechariah believe about all this? What's, what's his response? Well, there would have been a lot going on for a Zechariah this day. At that time in Israel, we know from other documents that there are about 18,000 priests that these duties were divided amongst. Uh, and each group, each kind of clan of priests would serve twice a year for one week. That was their time to go to the temple and have their time of service. So it happened every six months for one week. Uh, and, and as part of your group, you'd go up and you'd, you'd serve at the temple uh, and you would become eligible to be going to a draw where you would win by lot the privilege, the honour of taking the incense to the altar and, and, and offering this offering to God. It was incredibly special for a priest. And actually, it could only happen once in your life. So you are only eligible to go into that draw if you've never won it before. So think what this must mean for Zechariah. We already told he's old. He's, he's been waiting his whole life for this, twice a year. Every year of his life, Zechariah has gone up to the temple and he's gone into the draw to be the one to go before the Lord and offer the incense. And every year, some other person gets read out. Maybe last year it was you know, Zemuel and he, he what's he saying? His first year of being a priest and he's already getting called up and Zechariah has been waiting for this his, his whole life. 
There are actually five priests who'd go up into the holy place uh, for this. There'd be two who'd light the candles and they'd head out. Another one would clean the altar. Another one would give the incense to Zechariah and they'd all leave. And all that's left is Zechariah with his chance to come and offer this incense. You've got all the people praying and worshipping outside, praying for God to deliver them. That's what they would have been praying for. They're saying, God, deliver us. Send your saviour. Send your saviour. We need you, God. And up Zechariah comes with the incense to light on the altar. And what a special day. It would have been the highlight of his life. And then an angel appears, as if it couldn't get more special. The, the angel shows up. It would have been absolutely astonishing as that happened. The angel says, look, don't be afraid. Uh, don't be afraid. Uh, not only is something amazing going to happen, you, you're going to have a baby, well, your wife is, and he will be the forerunner. You know all those people outside praying, Zechariah, who are praying that God will send his deliverer? Well, you will be the father of the forerunner of the prophet, uh, the prophet Elijah who's coming before. Can, can you imagine being there? Uh, and Zechariah, well, let's see what he says, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years, which is, is that politically correct? Are you allowed to say that? Yeah. I'm an old man and my wife is, well, she, I can't say she's old, but she's, she's well along in years. She's well... The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. Now, we already know about Zechariah. He's righteous. He's upright. He's a, he's a good guy. He believes in God. He trusts God. He knows all the stories. He believes they happened. He believes God is powerful to save. He, he would know the story of Abraham and Sarah inside out. He probably taught it to others. And when an angel says, hey, Zechariah, this is going to happen to you, he just can't believe it. Now, if we were going to have a vote now on who do we think are the next, likely, next most likely couple to have a baby at Lake Mac Church, don't look at them. And, and, and the vote came back and we said, Richard and Julie, yeah, that's, what's going on? Can you imagine these guys turning up at the antenatal, prenatal clinic? Uh, send them down to the psychiatric ward. You know, you're in the wrong part of the hospital. It, it just doesn't happen. It's not the way things work. And that's all Zechariah can see. He says, look, oh, I know, I know God does these things. He, he parted the Red Sea. He, he gives babies to the childless. He delivers his people. But God does that for others, but not for me. That's what he's saying here. I believe all that stuff happens, that God is powerful, but not in my life. Not, 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 not in my life. Not for me. But Zechariah went on home. We were having fun at home group. What signs do you think he made to his wife to say, we're going to have a baby without saying you've put on weight, you know? 
You know, what, what's, what's he doing? Like, how did he communicate that this is what's going hap happening? But he goes home. Uh, after this, um, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. For five months, she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. What a, what a beautiful little chunk there. Now, they really learned the hard way <laughs> to, to believe that God does intervene. That's a genuine geriatric pregnancy, isn't it, at that stage? You can imagine a little John the Baptist kid running around and when, you, when you're old, they, they learn that God does intervene. God does intervene. There are no coincidences. But what about us? What about us? See, I reckon many of us here today are technically like Zechariah, very similar. We go, yep, yep, I absolutely believe God intervenes in this world. We believe the Bible is true, that these aren't fables, that this isn't made up, it's not symbolic. God acts and speaks and interacts and intervenes in this world. And we believe that God, that there are no coincidences. But, but do we believe he will intervene in our lives? Do we, do we expect to see that kind of thing? God's intervention. I wonder if you're still trying to make up your mind about Jesus. You go, well, look, I, I believe some technical things about Jesus. That's where I was before I became a Christian. I, I believe the truths, but somehow I didn't believe it. He hadn't intervened in my life. Yes, I believe God intervened in human history and sent his son to save humanity, but, but more than just a technicality. Do I in my life believe this? Do you recognise this for yourself? Have you responded to Jesus rather than just technically believe it? Has it changed the way you live? Do you actually have a relationship with Jesus or do you just believe some new things? Has it, have, have you interacted with God on that level? And that extends that question, I think, to all of us. How does it change our lives? See, if you've already come to that place of being transformed by Jesus, of having God intervene in your life and fill you with his Holy Spirit and convict you and change you, give you hope and a future, forgiveness, a cleansed conscience. They're beautiful things to happen, great experiences to happen. But is that it? Does all that kind of happen in a kind of short period of time and then we go, okay, God intervened, he saved me, and now it's kind of business as usual for the rest of my life? See, earlier I shared a part of my testimony but it wasn't the full story, and some of you will have heard this. Uh, see, I was, I was searching for God at that time. Uh, I'd started to go back to church, and I, would, I decided to read the Bible. Uh, and, and that day, I was actually, I'd, I'd climbed that waterfall. That's, uh, that's Glen Nevis, right next to Ben Nevis. I was deciding, oh, I'll go for a mountain climb. I was 18 and overconfident in my Blundstone boots with no experience, went, yeah, I'll climb a waterfall. What could go wrong? Um, so up I climbed, I had my lunch up there, and I was coming back down the, the, the valley, the gully, which was, imagine a giant has poured some marbles into a very steep gully, you know, 15-foot boulders that were sort of clumped over a river that went under it. And I was jumping from boulder to boulder to find somewhere. And I was, I was finding somewhere to read my Bible. I had it in my backpack and I actually found a place and it was like a perfect natural seat with this beautiful view over the valley. And I sat down, I even got my Bible out. And I can clearly remember being, for some reason, dissatisfied. I went, ah, I reckon there's a better view further down. So I put my Bible back in my, in my pack and, and kept walking, uh, well, leaping. And, and between two of these boulders, I looked down and oh, there was... 
there's a pair of legs down there, there's a person down there. I thought, oh, I'll go down and say good day. They must be filming the water. And I, I realised pretty quickly that this wasn't a live person. It wasn't a mannequin, as I irrationally first thought. It was a, it was a dead man. I, w I was shocked. I came back up, <clears throat> didn't know what to do. Uh, I didn't even know the emergency number. So it's a top tip if you're travelling. Learn the emergency number in whatever country you're in. And, and as I kind of wandered back up to the road thinking, I guess I need to find the local police station and tell someone, two people walk along the track. One's wearing a high-vis shirt. It's pretty remote. Police written on a coffee. Isn't that incredible? So I waved him down, explained what happened, and he went down to have a look to confirm. I'm talking to the other guy. The other guy was the dead fella's father. So this guy, his name was Gary. He'd been mountain climbing three, three days before. He was due to get married in three weeks' time, and this was his last hurrah. He was 28. He was doing the ring of steel, climbing from cliff to cliff to cliff, and some other mountain climbers had seen him climb across the ridge and fall down into the river and disappear under the, under the boulders. And his family reported him missing. These other climbers had reported seeing it happen. And up the track, as I'm hearing this, come his mother, his fiancée, his fiancée's mum. And this is for the first time they're coming up to the place where they know their son, their fiancé has died. Search party hasn't started. They're just coming up to try and get some closure. So this has happened. And who happens to meet them at the exact moment? If I'd come to that track two minutes earlier, later, they would have gone past. I would have missed them, gone out of the police station, given my report. Uh, but we intersected at that moment. If I hadn't been dissatisfied about where I was reading my Bible and gone to look for somewhere else, if I hadn't looked down as I leapt across this gap, if I hadn't been curious to know why someone was down there and checked it out. And as we're talking and everyone's crying and I think his fiance's mum said to me, why were you over there? What were you doing down amongst the rocks? I said, I was actually looking for somewhere to read my Bible. And they said, well, what... What were you reading? I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually working through the Bible. I'm just reading what the next passage is that I'm up to. And they said, well, what were you up to? Now, the day before, I'd read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Here was, here's the reading that I then read to them. For the first time, I couldn't have remembered reading this before. This was the passage I was up to. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. That, that was the passage I was up to. I'd never read this before. 18-year-old Liam is not that discerning and thoughtful. And there it was. That was the passage. Was all that just a coincidence? that I happened to be there, that I happened to look down, that I wasn't happy with my Bible reading place, that I intersected at them at that moment, that this was the reading. I was leaning there against the police car, waiting to, uh, waiting to give my, uh, my report, I guess, to the police. Uh, and I can remember feeling really used, not, not in a dirty way like, like someone has used me against my will, but I went, wow. I can remember thinking, you know what? God must have been praying. God... I didn't ask to be used this morning. I wasn't thinking about how I can serve you. And yet you stitched all these things together. Now, now what, what, do we, what do we do with a situation like this? What do you do with events like this in our lives? 
Well, one option is to just get on with your life and go, oh, well, I don't need to think about God. If God wants to use me, he'll use me. If he wants to intervene, I don't have to think about it. He'll make me find a dead guy when I'm not thinking about it and meet their family and read Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That's, that's, that's one option. Yeah, I'll just carry on. I don't need to think about God. He'll do his thing. Or we can decide to live for God, trusting that he is working and expectantly looking for these opportunities and praying that, God, you are working in this world. Where will it be today? Where will it be today? How can I bring you honour and glory? And in case you're wondering, it's not just an Old Testament thing or a, uh, that, that God used to use people and intervene. Uh, one of my favourite passages is, is from the, the book of Acts where Paul is on one of his missionary trips. The Apostle Paul, he's got to Athens and, and it's wonderful to see the way Paul preaches. He speaks to each people group in a way that is going to work for them. And he's talking to these intellectuals in the Areopagus in Athens. And he's talking about their gods and their misunderstandings. He says, oh, you think you need to build temples for God? Well, our God, he made the world. He doesn't need temples. You think you need to give food offerings to your God? Well, our God gives food to us. And here's what he says next. He says, "For one man, from one man... He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of the lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Now, if you look carefully in there and think about what God, that's, this is saying, God decreed, he appointed, he determined the times and boundaries of all people the time and places where every human lives. The year that you were born, is that ever any accident? No, God decreed that. He determined it. He appointed it. You think you chose the house you live in, your, your rental or the house you bought? No. God decreed where you would live, when you would live, which means God decrees who your neighbours are, who your workmates are, who your friends are. No, not it's not our choice, it's not coincidence, it's not chance. God has marked out all these appointed times and places and he doesn't just throw it together for some game. Why does he do it? So that some may reach out and find him. A very carefully ordered plan. Well, how do we live in response to this? If we, if we do say we believe this, how do we, how do we live in response to this? Uh, how do we think about the way God interacts? Well, there'll be little choices at every time in life. Take, for example, say, for example, you work at a Christian camp centre, maybe in the kitchens. Maybe a few of you people do that. You know, and you turn up and they're short-staffed again because someone's sick. There's a big camp. There's too many people. You're tired. What might you think about that situation? Oh, no, they've under-rostered again. Too busy, Ugh, poor me. Or do we look around and say, you know what, this is no accident. This is no accident. God's put me here. He got me here today. What a chance to show grace and patience and a good attitude in the midst of something that is tiring. What about when you're interacting with a noisy neighbour who plays their music a bit too loud and a bit too long, whose dogs keep barking and won't stop? Maybe you're my neighbours at that stage, you know. What, what do you do? You know, do we go, just my luck, just my luck? No, God's put me here. 
not someone else, not some other person, not some more gracious or generous person. No, God put me here. How might I seek to glorify God in this situation? What about when you're selling something? That's something I often do, or buying something on Gumtree. Is it just random, the person that you're buying or selling from? I had a chat with a tow truck driver the other day, and I was late for a meeting with Ross, actually, and he can confirm this. I was uh, late for a meeting, and right at the end of this tow truck driver says, oh, so what do you do? Okay, I'll have that conversation. That that guy, he used to go to church, and I ended up having a big, long conversation. Is Is there any coincidence in that or not? Or how about as Julie was praying earlier, like Joy, you've broken both your ankles, plus got a hematoma on your hip, and you're in hospital. I can't imagine how that's feeling for Joy at the moment. And and we've been getting messages from Joy. We've been asking, what can we pray for? Here's one of the messages. I I screenshotted this from, uh, from my phone this morning. I forgot to say that I had a lovely talk with one of the nurses last night and encouraged her to go back to church. That's from Joy yesterday afternoon. Two broken ankles waiting to be transferred. Don't know when it's going to happen. The doctor's just said to her, Joy, it's going to be a long time till you get home, if ever. And that's what she's thinking about. I had a lovely chat with one of the nurses last night and encouraged her to get back to church. What do we believe about God's interactions in this world? Is it just coincidence? Do we make our plans and it just happens? Or, or is God there? decreeing, appointing the times and places when joy would break her ankles and who would be on shift. If only joy is looking out for those opportunities to have that conversation. Because that's how God works in our world. And we will have opportunities every day to glorify him and get on with his mission. To carry on with that mission that the angel Gabriel revealed to Zechariah about John the Baptist. What's the mission? Well, John's was to prepare, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And we get to be part of that same mission. If only we will see how God's intervening in this world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you that you are a good and holy God, that you are faithful and powerful and you have wonderful plans. And in the midst of a world that often seems so chaotic, we thank you that we have these assurances that you make plans, you make promises, and you fulfill them every single time. We thank you that you give us a glimpse into your all-the-time interaction in our world for your mission, for your purposes, so that some might reach out and find you. And we pray that today, if there are any of us here who might be in that situation, we want to recognise that you've brought us here to find you. And we want to recognise that in all of our lives, at every moment, we have the opportunity to be those who are reaching out, preparing a way for the Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we do have time for questions. You can ask them in person. If you're on YouTube, you're allowed to text them in. Or if you want it anonymous, Rob's got a roving mic. My phone's off aeroplane mode, so I'll actually get it. That'd be a sneaky little trick, wouldn't it? Text me your questions. This time. Hey, there we are. Uh, Thanks, Not not a question, Liam, but just another bit of uh, real joy. When we went to see uh, Anne straight from Joy's, Anne gave us exactly the same story. She had talked to a nurse there about going back to the Lord. It was just fabulous. 
Thanks, Richard. Yeah, it's so encouraging, isn't it? If we just have our eyes open. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Liam. I'm really glad for that family were there so they didn't have to worry about where their son mm. was. I want to play the devil's advocate. Far away. Did God break Joy's ankle so that she was there to talk Ooh. about this? He decreed it. Uh, and we know that absolutely because Jesus, when he was with his disciples, do you remember they were walking along at one point and his disciples say, Jesus, teacher, that man who was born blind, why was he born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither. But that man was born blind so that God might be glorified on this day. All sorts, all sorts of things that we can struggle to understand. We, we can't see God's plans. We can't see God's picture. Sometimes they don't make sense to us. But God has perfect sight, uh, perfect planning, and he always acts for the good of those who love him and accord according to his purpose. So kind, kind of yes, but I wouldn't put it like that. Yeah. Louise has got one. And while it's heading over to Lee's, one that popped up this week was uh, there was a little uh, men mention in there about uh, the, the wine. Um, so John the Baptist was to not ever have wine and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a question that came up in our home group. Well, are those two connected? Can you have the Holy Spirit if you're also drink wine ever or any alcoholic beverage? Um, and it's, it's quite interesting as you, you look through that there were it would have been very, very unusual for any Jewish person in that history to, to, to go without wine. Uh, priests had to go without wine for the time they were on service. So you drink, drink alcohol at any other time, not to drunkenness, but they could, could have a drink, except for that week when they were at service at the temple. And, and Nazarites, that was those who'd made a vow for a period of time, that a time that was set aside to the Lord would not drink wine. So that seems what to be going on with John. Um, so it's not a connection that says, oh, look, you can only get the Holy Spirit if you don't drink. It, it, it's saying John's whole life was that time set apart. And not just for a week at the temple, this is a really significant and special guy in God's, God's time plan. His life's going to be set, set apart for that. Um, Louise, over to you. Um, I just wanted to ask um, about the significance of Elijah being mentioned. Mm. Um, I know that in, I think it's Mark, he, they talk about Jesus they ask, is this Elijah? Mm. And I'm not really sure personally what that means. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Louise. So Elijah actually comes up really often in the in the Gospels. So a couple of times. So when Jesus goes to the Mount of Transfiguration, just takes a couple of his disciples with him. Um, and it's called the Mount of Transfiguration because that's where Jesus was transfigured. And I guess he's eternal godness shone through. He was says he was transfigured before their eyes. And they kind of couldn't even look at him, but it seemed like there was two other people with him, Moses and Elijah. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, when, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Oh, he's one of the prophets. Or he's Elijah, he's one that often comes up. Elijah was a really prominent Old Testament prophet, particularly because of the miracles he did. He was, uh, there was a huge uh, flourish of the miraculous around Elijah and his uh, apprentice, Elisha. It would have been helpful if they were different names for me, but that's all right. Maybe the Jews didn't struggle with that. But, but yeah, so he's a really kind of prominent uh, figure in the Old Testament. And he seems to be kind of representative of the prophets. Moses seems to be representative of the law. So when we see that all the law and the prophets point to Jesus, it's really significant that Elijah 
and Moses were the two with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, as, as if the law and the prophets personified in Elijah and Moses were there saying, hey, we've all been waiting for this guy. Um, and then in Malachi, you know, that's, that, that promise that uh, one like Elijah will come before the day of the Lord. And I think that's probably what the people who thought Jesus were Elijah were thinking. They think, oh, maybe Jesus is the forerunner. They'd forgotten about John the Baptist being the forerunner, but they thought, oh, maybe Jesus and, and someone else is coming after him. But, yeah, great question. Laneth, and we might make this the last one so we've got time for, a, for some, some singing. Um, in Luke 13, uh, verse 13, says, the, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him that mm. joy. I don't know how long he prayed for, but surprisingly, he was surprised when God answered his prayers. Mm. Could it be when we pray, God's coincidences happen, mm. meaning it is God's will for John to be born, right? Looking at the mm. God's whole plan or whole perspective, and yet God still wants us to pray mm. to access God's will. Mm. So if we don't pray, meaning I'm not saying nothing will happen, but what I'm saying now is it is important to access God's will for us to pray yep. so that the will of God will, will happen or come, mm. come to pass. Yeah, is, there a, is there a true argument? Or argument yeah, or? Uh, thank, thanks, Lodeth. Yeah, because when we, when we start to wrestle with the interaction between God's eternal plan and well, why, why do we play if God's got a plan and is already you know, planned and appointed these times, God commands us to pray and he's designed us to interact in that way. And we are to seek God's will and, and pray in line with that. Uh, even in, um, in this passage in Luke 1, um, yeah, when, when the angel says to Zechariah, God's answered your prayers, could have been the prayers for a baby. It could have been the prayers of all the people, including Zechariah, that a Messiah would come. Yeah, it so could, it could have been any of those, but it's yeah. saying this was this is God, the Gabriel, God through Gabriel, saying this is good and appropriate. You've been praying for good things. Yep. Now we, I think we do have to be careful though, not to say, look, um, there are a lot of people, a lot of faithful, godly Christians uh, and Jews in the Old Testament who prayed for a for a baby and never got one. Yeah. So is that did they not pray right? No, that's not what this teaches. Uh, God, God does always do what is best for us, but he does respond to prayer. So we, yeah. might, we might leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. So Thank you. what I'm saying is we should pray. Ah, 100%. I'm with we, you. We, we should pray. We should be encouraged to pray yep. so that we can access God's will and God's plans and purposes for our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So God, God, God has His will, and absolutely, He wants us to pray. Yeah, I, I did have one little question come in. Um, why do you think Zechariah was punished slash disciplined? Because it is interesting. He's such a godly guy, and he can't speak. I don't know. Maybe Elizabeth was sick of his whining and needed a break. Um, but, but no, I'd, it is. It is a mark. He was. He was disciplined, wasn't he? Because because you didn't believe me. I think that's another one. When God makes promises. It's not our, not our place to say, oh, but my wife's well advanced in years. We say, no, let's, let's get on with God's agenda. <clears throat> and we're going to sing now. Thanks, guys.